please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org radio, and this week we're going to have a little bit more of a somber discussion than we've been having in weeks past as we reflect on, on the shooting in South Carolina at the AME church that happened just just recently. And, you know, we, we think about the nine people who were killed in that church by a, a lone wolf gunman who went in and, and opened fire on a congregation who was worshiping and who were by the, the act of their legislature unarmed and defenseless. And, and we, you know, cannot fathom the depths of, of this and how it affects the families of the people who died. But in, in the end, we're left wondering, you know, how could this happen? And that's the question that keeps getting asked over and over. And we hear everybody chiming in from all sides of the debate, you know, including the president who comes in with, with his ideas. But the truth is, is that there is only one way to prevent senseless crimes like that, and that is to the ability to defend ourselves as enshrined in the Second Amendment. Well, thank goodness for the Second Amendment, because it gives us the opportunity to defend ourselves, except for that's a federally protected opportunity for us. It's a right, whereas our states try to take it away. And if it wasn't for organizations like GeorgiaCarry.org, a lot of states would have no gun rights whatsoever. But thank goodness for GeorgiaCarry.org, because we get to carry our guns almost everywhere in Georgia minus a few select areas well it's it's improving there's still miles to go before we sleep i'm afraid but georgia has come a long way i don't know that we'll ever sleep and we're going to constantly have to be fighting to keep these things in act in action because we have um stupid left-wing anti-gunner groups that like moms demand action and every town usa that that want to use no firearms knowledge at all to take away our firearms so well, there, as we've discussed, and what is becoming a a drumbeat for this program, it's their their irrational fears take over from allowing people to defend themselves. And this this shooting this last week is a prime example of how irrational fears cause people to be in danger. Uh, well, very very true. Um, irrational fears caused laws to be passed. I'm sure that um, keep people from carrying guns in South Carolina, but more so. It was their irrational fears of black people that passed these laws. These are some of those old Jim Crow laws like we had in Georgia about carrying guns in churches. And the reality is these laws are racist laws. These laws were to keep freed slaves from owning firearms because the white people were afraid of the slaves. In in Georgia, I'm not familiar with South Carolina as much, but in Georgia we saw this. And uh, a good friend of mine, Mike Minkus, is, is like the leading expert on the Jim Crow laws. And we'll try to get him on the show in one of the upcoming episodes very shortly to discuss some of this but um, you look back at the way things were they following reconstruction laws were passed to prevent people carrying at a public gathering so that they couldn't defend themselves when the lynch mobs came and you you weren't allowed to get a license unless you owned property and you weren't allowed to to carry a firearm uh, basically any place where you would have a gathering and the church laws kind of you know, formed from this because the the 
you know, African-American churches founded by free slaves were a place that they would congregate and where a lynch mob would be known to come to get people and drag them out. And so, of course, they wanted to be able to carry a firearm to defend themselves at their church, and that was specifically prohibited from them so that they would have no way to defend themselves from the attackers who came. And South Carolina's laws are very similar to what Georgia's laws were. Now, um, I looked it up, and I have it here. Um, where South Carolina has a list of places that you can't take a gun. And unless you're in your house, your place of business, or your own property, you may not carry a firearm without a concealed carry permit in South Carolina. You may not carry a firearm or on another person's property if that person has prohibited it. You may not carry a firearm in a jail, prison, detention facility. You may not carry a firearm on school premises, including daycare and preschool facilities, in law enforcement offices or facilities, in court facilities, at polling places on election days, in churches or other religious sanctuaries, unless express consent was given by the appropriate church officials or governing bodies, or in hospitals or medical facilities. And you see, these are the, the you've got a list there of every place that you can attack freely without ret- fear of retribution. Yeah, so basically, if I was a, a crazed idiot in South Carolina and I wanted to go and attack a bunch of people and hurt them, I could just go and look for this list right here and decide where I was going to go. I mean, hey, a hospital. And more and more evidence is coming to light that this attack was racially motivated, which is a a horrible thing. I mean, the reality is um, they found a website and the website has now been taken down so that it can be used as evidence. But it was written by Roof. The guy's name was Dylan Stormroof. He was 21 years old. Always three names, right? Yeah. James Earl Ray. John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. So anyway, um he on this website that he'd written he made horrible statements that blacks were less valuable than whites and there was pictures of him wearing clothing that had racist group symbols on it like the um rhodesian apartheid apartheid apartheid. yeah south africa yeah so you know we're we're seeing examples of this and his own mother was stated Um, She was quoted in stating that he got wrapped up in something evil on the Internet, that she doesn't know where he went wrong. She states that he spent hours locked in his room looking at, quote, unquote, bad stuff on the Internet. So, you know, he obviously got wrapped up with some um, racial groups, anti-racial groups online. And this has happened. And you hear a lot of this with people joining ISIS now online. Well, there are a lot of, you know, disaffected people in this country who are looking for a cause to believe in. And, you know, there was a time, you know, you go back 60, 70 years ago when the cause was America, when it was freedom, when people believed in this country. And, you know, Captain America was was the comic book hero and people really had a, a, a desire to be a part of this country. But. Ever since the late 60s, we've seen this kind of counterculture movement, a disaffected youth move against what are traditional American values and, and freedom. And this is the result of that. And while I, you know, I'm all in favor of everyone being able to express themselves and have a free marketplace of ideas, there comes a point where there is a cost to pay in that people who do not believe in this country and do not accept our values decide to attack this country. And what better way to attack a multicultural 
you know, liberal democracy than to attack minorities in it. Well, that's true. Very true. And we have seen quite a few attacks on minorities as of late. The It seems that racial tensions are kind of building in our country, and I can't blame that on any specific person, <clears throat> Obama. But... It seems that racial tensions are building in our country worse than they have been in 40 years. And I'm afraid that more of these things are going to continue to happen with people that aren't exactly balanced. I mean, this guy, 21 years old, really hadn't had any criminal convictions as of yet, had a um, drug charge under indictment drug charge. He hadn't been to trial on yet. The reports are that he bought the gun himself now. The original was that they thought it was through a straw purchase on his father. Well, let's let's be clear. A straw purchase is not a father buying his son a gun or a son buying his father a gun or a gift. A straw purchase is when you have a knowingly prohibited person who uh, procures a gun by having a legally allowed purchaser go purchase a firearm specifically to transfer it to the person who cannot buy it themselves so the reason i would say that this is a straw purchase is because the father would obviously know about his son's indictment for felony charges mm-hmm. one would assume which he would under understand then that if he had to fill out the form and say that he's not under indictment for any charges that his son would have had to do the same making his son prohibited correct however we found out later because the father denied purchasing the gun at all on well, we Al Jazeera. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say we don't really know anything until somebody gets their hands on where that gun came from. Whether right. it was a private purchase, whether it came from an FFL, if it came from an FFL, there's got to be a 4473, and we're which is have a where I'm headed now. Um, apparently, two of the law enforcement officials that are handling the case reported to CNN. Last weekend, it was like Sunday, that the gun was a forty-five caliber Glock handgun and that it was purchased at a Charleston gun store last April. Well, we're last April. When was he indicted? I have no idea. He That's, may not have even been indicted not, yet. He may not even have been charged at that point. Which would not make him a prohibited person. This is true. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty long gap from last April until this June. For And granted, you know, a, a felony indictment down here in the lower 48 may take a year or two. You know, there are some states where you have to do it within 10 days of arrest. But we don't really have the kind of processes here in Georgia or, I imagine, South Carolina that would require indictment to take place that quickly. And that's another thing that could be used to help staunch some of these, you know, gaps and lag time. And before the show, we were talking about that, Jesse, about how, well, you know, how do they know and how do they get to the point where they know if someone is indicted or not? So, I mean, if you had to indict someone within 10 days of arrest, there would be a lot less lag time for these things to slip through cracks. Yeah, and with the indictments, I mean, if they just purchase a handgun and then they're indicted a week later, there's no registry of who has a gun. So it's not like we could just go get it. And I am not uh, advocating for that. I'm completely against registries. But there, there's no way to know that he owned, he owned a handgun at all. Um, we're coming up on commercial break. We'll be back in a few minutes after a few commercials. <laughs> so stay tuned. And now back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. 
Welcome back, everybody. Uh, when we took the break, we were talking a little bit about the, the gaps that form. And, and Jesse, you had said that he had purchased this gun last year in April, or, or allegedly the gun was purchased last year in April. No, this past April, which means April 2015, two okay. months ago. Okay. Well, still. So there's a two-month gap between when the, per- when the firearm was purchased and when it was used in the commission of a crime. Okay. Now, you know, the what, what comes to my mind is, is the amount of time between when someone is arrested and when they're indicted and when all the paperwork goes through concerning when they're allowed to purchase or not to purchase a firearm federally. And now, of course, you know, you can get a firearm many different ways. You can break into someone's house and steal one. You can steal one from a family member. You can go and purchase one off the black market. And all of this has absolutely no bearing on, on a legal purchase of a firearm. So as long as as the Pandora's box has been opened and that guns exist, there will be ways to illegally obtain one for the commission of a crime. But that aside, you know, if you're if you're arrested for a crime and it takes them six, eight, twelve months to get around to indicting you, during that period, uh, there really isn't much that can be said. I mean, you have an arrest that's pending, but you haven't even been indicted yet. If we were to shorten up the amount of time that's legally required between arrest and indictment, then that would close up a loophole in in all of this process in such a way that it wouldn't infringe on the rights of law-abiding citizens in the least. But if you were accused of a crime, if there was probable cause and a grand jury of 20 some odd people believe that you there was probable cause to proceed with the crime then you would be indicted and that would affect your rights but it wouldn't affect my rights or your rights or the average rights of the citizen on the street and by you know keeping that time frame short and of course you know the the obvious objection i hear from every law enforcement is well we can't get a case together that fast but it's not true because when i lived in alaska when i was a district attorney up there they had to have every case indicted within 10 days. I mean, that was the, that was the law. And if you didn't indict the case in 10 days, it was dismissed. Poof, gone. Right. And if you didn't try a case within 120 days of arrest, poof, gone. So, I mean, these things, there, there is a state out there that invests the resources and has enough respect for their citizens to force law enforcement to prove their case when they make an arrest, to actually go forward and do what they're supposed to do. And if you can't do it, then you don't get to provide these people. And that's just the way of it. And they would rather, you know, 10 guilty people go free than one innocent person have to sit in jail for a year on baseless charges that end up being dismissed. And that's something that we can do to fix problems. You want, and I don't think that that's something that either side of the argument can, or or the debate can argue about. I mean, I, I would love to hear the moms come out and say, no, 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 you, you can't, Speed up the criminal process. We don't want people getting indicted faster. I, I can't see Republicans turning around and saying, no, 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 we're, we're, we can't be hard on criminals. We want them to have a lot more time before they face, you know, trial and justice. Oh, Who- gosh, it can be two to three years before you actually get a trial in the state of Georgia. Yeah. And so, I mean, two to three years that you're indicted, but you're not convicted and there's no conviction on your record. So all you have to do is conceal your indictment, just real quietly not mention it to anybody. And all of a sudden you're able to purchase a gun, even though you may not be somebody that should. And so, you know, who who's going to stand up and argue that we shouldn't do things to streamline the criminal process to get people in front of a jury of their peers to have their day in court? 
the only people that I see are prosecutors who don't want to ha- take on the extra responsibility of having to indict cases right away and having to try cases right away, and police officers who don't want to take on the extra responsibility of getting their case together quickly and efficiently before they seek an indictment. Now, you know, I'm, I'm friends with cops, and I've had cops turn around and tell me, look, I won't seek an indictment until I'm sure. But then there's pressure on them from their supervisors and from their captains and from the politicians in the city saying, hey, 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 we need an arrest right now, and then we'll sort it out later. But once you make that arrest, the clock should be ticking. And there, there is a state out there that requires that. There were, once you get arrested, clocks start ticking. Ten days to indictment, 120 days to trial. And that would be, be ready. King's favorite place, Alaska. <laughs> So, but I mean, you, you know, I'm I'm sitting here and, and you know we can speed up indictments, we can do all that, but even then, the background checks don't always work. They're they're sitting here and and everybody thinks that this background check is the key to reducing gun violence, right? But you know how how do these people that that get these firearms and commit horrible crimes pass the background check? You know, we're sitting here and we're saying, well, you know, he wasn't convicted yet. He may not have even been charged yet. And we've got this he one may not covered. Even have committed a crime yet, right? And that's the issue. Is a lot of the times this is these first people's run in with the law. The Virginia Tech shooter. Mm-hmm. They knew that he was autistic or had Asperger's syndrome. Uh, and there were people that wondered about him, but they did not know that he was a, a severe danger. In fact, he passed a background check. The Aurora, Colorado movie theater shooter passed a background check. The Fort Hood shooter passed a background the check. The Fort Hood shooter was military. The Ila Vista shooter, the Washington Navy Yard shooter, the attempted mass killing at the Air Force High School, they all passed background checks. Well, you know, so then you've got, again, a, a fork in the road. Do you say, okay, well, we need to crank down the background checks so that it's virtually impossible to get? Or do we just accept that this is a flawed system? It's, it, you kind of have to, I guess, accept that it, it's going to happen sometimes. You know, the shooter at the Washington Navy Yard managed to buy a firearm after the background check was supposedly strengthened following the incident at Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. So they they go and they, they make this background check system, and then they strengthen the background check system. It's still not enough to stop this. And the fact of the matter is, you can take guns away from honest citizens. You can deny carriage into every place. You can say, well, we're restricting this, restricting that, whatever. But the people that want to do the harm will do the harm, whether they obtain the firearm legally or illegally. Right. They're going to do what they're going to do. So what do you do to prevent it? And this is where I get into our gun-free zones. I believe that our gun-free zones becoming non-gun-free zones is the key to stopping this. Because there's research that shows there is. Um, On October 9th, 2014, the Crime Prevention Research Center, that's the CPRC, released a revised report showing that 92% of mass public shootings between January 2009 and July 2014 took place in gun-free zones. That's Mm -hmm. 92%. Now, this report was released in response to an Every Town for Gun Safety study claiming that only 14% of mass public shootings took place in gun-free zones. Every town actually claimed that 86% of such shootings occurred in places where guns were allowed. They, CBRC showed that 86% claim rests on every town's inclusion of tax attacks in private homes, numerous errors in identifying whether citizens can defend themselves. For example, 
Every town ignores rules that prevent general citizens from carrying guns for self-defense in certain cities, and they fail to recognize that allowing police to carry guns is not the same thing as letting civilians defend themselves. Yeah, that's, there's kind of a big difference there. A very big difference. So then I go and I, I'm looking into this. According to NationalReview.com, the chances of being killed in a mass shooting are about what they are for being struck by lightning. Yeah. So you are about like winning the lottery on this, <laughs> you know. So we say gun-free zones have been the most popular response to previous mass shootings. But many law enforcement officials say they are actually counterproductive. So all the, the gun grabbers say, oh, we need gun-free zones. Guns are already banned in schools. That is why the shootings happen in schools. A school is a helpless victim zone, says Richard Mack, a former, a former Arizona sheriff. Preventing any adult at a school from having access to a firearm eliminates any chance the killer can be stopped in time to prevent a rampage. Now, there, there's the whole crux of the issue right there. I mean, wh- why do we have gun-free zones? Why do we have laws at all? The, the point is not to prevent crime. I mean, there, there is a, a chilling effect on crime that there is a punishment to it. But I'm telling you, after years of, of criminal defense work and being a prosecutor, people do not believe they will get caught. There's there's basically three types of crimes that are committed. There's the ones that are planned where they don't think they're going to get caught. That's why they do it. There are crimes of passion where they have no conception about the consequences whatsoever. It is It is an emotional act. And then there are the ones who don't care if they get caught or not because they don't plan to survive the engagement. And I think that this Dylan Roof, the guy that did the Colorado shooting and several others, they just didn't care. They yeah. don't care if they get caught. They don't care. They're they're out to make some kind of statement, prove a point. We're just they're so angry of an individual and evil. If you look at this Dylan Roof guy, he looks so hollow and evil in the eyes that you can just feel it on him looking at a picture of him. Well, there there are people who just don't have empathy, who have no concern for other human beings and decide that in their way of, of making a statement or making a name for themselves or making a difference is to be a martyr. And they don't care the consequences. So out of out of all of the, the types of people I see, I don't see any of them who weigh the consequences of their crime in their decision to make their crime happen. Uh, folks, we're coming up on a commercial break, so we'll be right back. Back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. During the break, Jesse and I were discussing a little bit about other incidents, uh, particularly, you know, the the phrase going postal in in all of these mass shootings. And Jess, what what were you saying about uh, the, the incident back in the 80s? It was 1986 when a crazed gunman who was actually a disgruntled employee walked into a post office, I want to say it was in New York, and opened fire, killing a bunch of his coworkers. And this was a federal area that has always been gun-free. So a sign that said gun-free zone did not stop this man from going in and mowing people down. Yeah, and I, I mean, it happens... 
all too often because I mean even not not just the post office. I mean it happened here in in Kennesaw at FedEx as well. Oh yeah, and and he only had a shotgun with well, bird with birdshot. Well, I'm saying in comparison to you know one or two shots at a time versus some uh, even you know the the gun that I carry that that holds six shots, you know, six rounds. Yeah. You know, he had to keep reloading, but he was still pretty freaking dangerous, you know, and, and he was crazy. That's the issue is, is these people are crazy. And a lot of times they haven't had any help or been committed and the system hasn't caught up with them yet. And there's no way to track them down because we can't say, oh, you look crazy. You can't buy a gun. You, you don't know until somebody's already been through the system. And then, you know. Well, the, the problem with the mental health system is that. It casts too wide of a net, and there are people who want to prohibit the right to self-defense to anyone who's seen a psychiatrist, to anyone who's ever been on a medication for depression, for anyone who's ever been treated by the Veterans Administration. I mean, that's kind of been the, the, the beginning point of all this, has been the administration's attack on veterans, saying if you've ever had post-traumatic stress, if you've ever been treated by the Veterans Administration, we have your records, and you need to be prohibited from being able to purchase a gun, because heaven knows that you know anyone who's ever seen a psychiatrist shouldn't be allowed to defend their, their lives with a lives of others we know that gun-free zones aren't the answer i mean seriously we've got office buildings hospitals convenience stores tv studios change restaurants um daycare centers they've all been targets of crazed killers and these are people that wanted to run up a large school score victims and then they finally kill themselves a lot of the time but these are the enterprises that prevent their employees from arming themselves even if they have a state-issued license granting them the right to arm themselves yeah, they, we've kind of been dancing around this and you know, saving it. Another but. company that's done this recently, and, and I'm very disappointed, is Uber. Uber has decided in the past week that they're going to stop allowing their customers to carry firearms. But they can't really do that because they don't have employees. They have contractors, and it's up to the contractor what they want in their car. Yeah. So I am now um, trying to get people to boycott Uber, <laughs> but that's beside the point. Well, you know, we, we, we look at this and we say, you know, what do you do? Do you do this? Do you do that? Well, the truth is the, the only way to stop a person with a gun is a person with a gun. And by having somebody who is responsible and who is looking out for the safety of themselves and others to stand in the gap and prevent violence. I, I remember a story out of, I want to say it was uh, the Virginia Law School, where a gunman went and killed the dean and his secretary and a student on campus who was carrying illegally drew and killed the gunman and saved countless lives before he was able to make the common area. I mean, things like this happen where somebody, we, we hear just scant stories about them where someone went into, uh, I, I think it was a church in, was it Colorado or Montana, uh, got a couple of shots off before one of the ushers shot him because he was carrying and that is the only way that we can ensure that a, a crazed gunman is stopped immediately either you put an, an, an armed police officer in every room in every building in every uh, city in the country or you allow citizens to protect themselves well see in 1999 um there's two gentlemen john lott and william landis they published an extensive statistical study of multiple shooting incidents and they showed that mass shootings occur less often in areas where responsible citizens are allowed 
permits to carry weapons discreetly. So basically, when when the convicts and the criminals and the scary people don't know who's carrying, they seem to behave a little better. So then this brings up, have you ever heard of a mass shooting at a police station, a pistol range, a gun show? That's because suicidal mass murderers may be insane, but they're not stupid. Well, the, there was the, the Dallas police headquarters shooting just recently where someone went and shot up the Dallas police HQ. I mean, it, it, That was the first time I'd ever heard of it. It, it. it does happen, but you don't hear about mass deaths. I mean, that's the kicker. Is It's kind of a self-selecting sample because if there is an armed person there, your casualty rate is going to be one or two, whereas if there's an unarmed populace there, then you get casualties of... Five, seven, fourteen, thirty people, instead of just the the one victim who is you know a tragedy, and then the perpetrator who is uh, a casualty. These mass murderers seem to purposefully select soft targets, though. If you really look at the all of all of them combined, it seems that they always select a start a soft target. Even the 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 Gabby Giffords thing was a store that had a sign on the door that said no guns allowed, mm-hmm. you know. So I bet she felt safe in there for a minute, <laughs> but it didn't make her any safer. Her having a, a firearm on her hip would have made her safer. So then we come to the show on the Outdoor Channel that I found the other day. Do you know that the Outdoor Channel has a show now that's called Safe Haven Gun-Free Zones in America? No. And it's narrated by Katie Pavlik, and it airs on Mondays at noon, and it's basically a show that takes a critical look at the history of gun-free zones in the United States and their effect on crime prevention through a series of interviews with law enforcement, industry experts, and survivors, among others. The the documentary explores how effective or perhaps ineffective these gun-free measures have been and offers possible solutions that would be better protecting for schools, businesses, and public at large. Since 1950, all but two of the places where mass shootings have occurred in America have shared one common denominator. What is it? Gun-free zones. Gun-free zones. They all took place in a designated gun-free zone. A gun-free zone is an area that, by law, a private citizen is not allowed to carry a firearm. However, those determined to cause harm and destruction have little regard for a sign or the penalties of law. Well, that's exactly the way I feel about all the, the criminals out there. I mean... They don't care about the penalties. Penalties do not deter crime. What deters crime is you can deter a repeat offender by warehousing them. You can get involved early for rehabilitation purposes so that they don't get to the point where they want to commit a truly heinous crime. But once a person is to the point that they're going to, I mean, what, what, what is it? I've heard it on, on one of the, uh, in the line of fire. They said, you know, one determined person will take out the president. And that's because they are willing to trade their lives for his. There's nothing you can do in the end except for wait for it. And if you've got someone who's determined to commit a crime, they're going to commit the crime. The only thing that you can do is to stop them in the act because you can't watch every person and you cannot prevent someone who's determined and willing to sacrifice their lives for a cause to stop them. You know, it's funny you bring up the president because he was going to be one of the next things I discussed. So I'm just going to go ahead into him. But do you know, did you see his interview after this shooting and, and the things that he said that were just oh so positive about how 
gun control was was helping, right? I, I, I did see the interview, and I heard how NPR characterized it as he was hopeful for gun control, but not hopeful that there could ever be a change in it. <laughs> I am going to characterize it myself, and I'm going to quote him with exact quotes. Barack Obama said, quote unquote, at some point, we as a country will have to reckon with the fact that this type of mass violence does not happen in other advanced countries. Now, I'm going to call BS on that. Sweden. And I'm going to say Sweden, <laughs> Charlie Hebdo, the chocolatier in Australia. It does happen in other countries. So apparently, Mr. Obama doesn't know how to turn on a TV and watch the news, or he's apparently watching the wrong news channel. So I'm well, going to say Fox or Al Jazeera, sir. He's, he's, you know that his station is permanently locked on the Golf Channel. Probably. Um, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, he continues later on in his speech. We might still have some more Americans with us. We might have stopped one shooter. Some families might still be whole. We all might have to attend fewer funerals. We should be strong enough to acknowledge this, that we might have been able to change anything, which means that he doesn't believe for a minute that it certainly will. will. It might there's there's Whoa. a possibility that something could have happened if we had done all this other stuff. Well, I might win the lottery tonight, but I'm not going to go out and quit my job just because I might, you know? Well, the it's a balancing act, right? And that's something that we need to acknowledge and make a decision on. Do we take the right of self-defense away from millions because it might have an effect on one shooting. No, we increase the right of self-defense for everyone. We t- give people the opportunity to carry a firearm safely and efficiently and, and discreetly. And then when a psycho steps into a church, you can pop a cap in his head. Well, do you think that might make a difference? I believe that will make a difference. According to the studies that I've seen, I believe that it will most certainly make a difference. Well, just common sense will tell you that having someone there who can stop them will stop them. And that's what it comes down to. That's the reality of it. And that's the thing is is that the left is not willing to accept is that it can be stopped, but it takes equal force to stop it, not a sign. Anti-gun people are not afraid of having a tragedy happen because it gives them an opportunity to force more of their agenda. There are a, an acceptable number of casualties in this in this fight every year. Folks, we're going to come up for commercial break. We'll be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. You know, this has been a really in-depth discussion, I think, and we really wrestle with the ideas of how to really prevent gun violence. And and what we were talking about during the break, Jesse, is that there's no way to completely prevent someone who's determined from taking these actions, but there is a way to to cap the casualties and to make it a a situation where more people are, are better off. Well, I mean, if you have... You may not be able to stop all shootings, okay, if there'd been someone armed in the church, he would have at least got a couple of shots off before they would have been able to draw on him. Maybe a couple of injuries, maybe a couple of casualties, but it wouldn't have been nine. And it would have sent a message to the next guy that thought about it. You know, that guy got shot back. Maybe we shouldn't do that in a church ever again because those people might be packing. 
Well, I, I don't know that it would de- deter the true crazies out there, but I can tell you that um, in the end, they won't commit the crime again. I agree. So how can we change the world? We get in lo- involved with georgiacarry.org. That's how we change the world. And the easiest way to get involved with georgiacarry.org is to become a member. And, of course, membership is only $20 a year, and you can join anywhere in, in the entire world. Just go online to www.georgiacarry.org, and in the upper left-hand corner, click Join Now, and you can enter your information for the yearly membership of $20 or a lifetime membership of $500. Also, if you want to get out and meet some people, we have local chapter meetings that pop up all the time here in metro Atlanta and across Georgia all the way down to Valdosta. Great chance to hear a speaker, to have some great food, and have some fellowship with other people who are like-minded and willing to get involved to defend the safety of others. You can go to practically any festival here in Georgia. gun shows and and local festivals i mean jesse and i we went out to the big shanty festival saw the people working the booth there working hard to get new members and get the message out and hand out those gun save lives buttons so more people know that the best way to save a life is to be armed and to protect yourself and joining georgiacarry.org will help change the laws for the better in georgia as it already has we're continuing that forward motion with the Georgia gun laws. Because you get all the updates on the legislature, what they're doing, how to get involved, who needs to be contacted, what hearings need to be attended. And on top of that, you can reach out to you know us through our website. Um, go to georgiacarry.org and listen to all of our old shows. You can also email us at radio at georgiacarry.org. Uh, we have a Facebook page up and running where we've got some good comments here and there, some interesting pictures and some delightful commentary from both of us. So there are great ways to reach out. And if you're listening to us at georgiacarry.org and you're not listening to us live on the air, get in contact with us and let us put us in touch with the station manager of the station you listen to most so that we can be on the air where you are and you can save your, your data as we go into the future shows. Now it's come to that time of the week again. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And this week's good is coming from the chairman of the House Committee on Natural Resources, Rob Bishop. He's a Republican from Utah. He has introduced H.R. 2710, the Lawful Purpose and Self-Defense Act of 2015. This bill would remove ATF's authority to interpret or reinterpret the Sporting Purposes Clauses in federal law. Oh, that would be a a glorious day, wouldn't it? Which only served to undermine the core purposes of the Second Amendment. Under Chairman Bishop's legislation, all lawful purposes, including self-defense, would have to be given due consideration and respect in the administration of federal law. Wow. Well, that would open up the door to a lot of of well-made, cheaper firearms flooding in. You know, some of the Sporting Purpose um, fiasco comes from... The, um, a really tariff-based hegemony from American gun makers who do not want to have to compete with foreign guns coming into our market and that they are able to prohibit them being imported. You could used to be able to get some really great weapons at a far, fair price, whereas now you just don't have that option. So the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in District of Columbia versus Heller that the core purpose of the Second Amendment is self-defense. Nevertheless, many federal laws that regulate the importation pr- possession and transfer of firearms measure the lawful utility of firearms based on their usefulness for so-called sporting purposes. This would kind of stop some of that. Yeah. Okay. Now we go to the bad. Um, 
the bad comes from Delaware this week. Delaware gun owners could face criminal charges if they don't properly lock their firearms away from children under a new bill introduced Tuesday. So basically, you've got a firearm in your own in your home in Delaware. And somebody's like, report you because your firearm isn't locked up. It's in your nightstand where you keep it to get up in the middle of the night if somebody breaks in the house. What if it's on your hip? If it's on your hip, they expect it to be locked up. And and what it is, is they want you to um, put one of those trigger locks in it. But the current law that they have punishes gun owners if, it, if one of their kids gets a firearm and uses it in the commission of a crime. This would... Um, prosecute people for just having the gun unlocked in their home and this is where big brothers overstepping his boundaries and somebody needs to just like spit in his face i'm really tired of legislation like this agreed um really who they're hoping to address with this are the people who are going to go out and buy guns who aren't part of the nra who have no training and they're buying guns and forget that it's a really dangerous instrument. It would take a moron to forget that it's a really dangerous instrument. And the issue here is we have people in our, our governments in these states that aren't smart enough to understand that the people that own guns legally own guns have enough common sense usually on how to use those guns well here's the problem if if let's say that you leave a gun unattended and a child gets the gun and goes and shoots somebody with it there are criminal penalties in existence for that so this this cannot be to prosecute people who have left their gun unattended and allowed inappropriate access and the tragedy follows this has to be Outside of those characteristics. So this means that they're looking to, to punish people for behavior that does not end in some sort of tragedy or violent shooting or other, other criminally covered product. So here we're only going after people who have a gun in their home, even if nothing is, is going wrong or there's no inattention or no problems with it. And the only way that you could tell that is if you were able to search people's homes. And I will invite them to search my home anytime after i unload in them for trespassing well <laughs> the, the the problem is is that this would give probable cause for a search warrant because you had reasonable suspicion that they that, owned a firearm which that, is within their right to do and and had some indication that it was not locked up so that's bad but the ugly I, the ugly was just ugly to me and I, I saw this picture of michelle obama and boy was she ugly but that's not the ugly. On June 17th, the Violence Policy Center released a study claiming widely accepted and academically verified numbers regarding annual defensive gun uses are mythical figures based on quote-unquote exaggerated claims from the quote-unquote gun lobby. That's a lot of quotes. Yeah. In the study, the VPC actually suggests that gun owners are 32 times more likely to use a gun for criminal homicide rather than justifiable homicide. They seek to bolster this claim by quoting debunked Harvard researcher David Hemingway to minimize, downplay, the findings of academicians. I don't know. Academicians. I don't know that word. Yeah, I don't either. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, p- people that are academics that say that DGUs at a rate are high as 2500000 a year. Wow. Um, 
that that figure is derived from Florida State University, and it's a criminologist. His name's Gary Kleck. Ironically, Hemingway had previously tried and failed to refute Kleck at this point. And he's not alone. Numerous other gun control proponents have fallen short on their efforts to refute Kleck's estimate. Working with his colleague, Mark Gertz, Kleck emerged in the early 1990s to show that a minimum of 760,000 DGUs is a viable claim, albeit the low end of the estimate spectrum. So they're trying to say that there's more homicides than defensive gun uses with legal gun owners, which is garbage. I mean, we're in Georgia. You practice in Georgia. How many times have you had to defend someone in a defensive gun use situation? Well, how many times have you had to defend someone in a non-justified gun use situation that was a a legal gun owner, a concealed carry holder? Honestly, here in Georgia, it's been pretty good. Uh, Most people who are in you know a situation where they're justified end up not getting arrested uh, i mean we we prepare for the worst and i tell people to be ready for this and that but most of the time the cops do get it right and they're not charged they're not arrested and and they're you know given a, a quick pat on the back and that's that whereas you know if you're committing a crime you get arrested and there's criminal prosecution well they just want to take numbers that have already been disproven and try to cherry pick those already disproven numbers to try to get more gun control. And the, the fact of the matter is the only gun control we need is the control to take it where we want to take it, to take it where we can keep ourselves safe. That's the gun control we need. We don't need Big Brother stepping in and saying, well, you need to take this class and that class and you need to do this and that. But anyway, for this week, we're about out of time. Well, folks, thank you for tuning in. We will be back on this station next week, same time, same channel, and we hope to hear you again. Uh, Send us an email, let us know topics you'd like to hear, guests you'd like to do, and we'll be back next week. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8, right here on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.